Well, good morning. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and, and then we'll get going. Father, I thank you for these men and women. Thank you for the opportunity to come in here and make much of your name. Uh, and so I pray that you would invade our routine spaces, uh, this place where we gather, most of us, week in and, and week out, uh, to, to worship your name. And I pray that you would allow this to be anything but routine. Uh, and that in very real ways, some of the shackles we brought into this joint this morning would stay here, uh, and then we might walk out uh, refreshed and renewed. Um, but, but by your power and strength alone, Father, this is possible. I know I can motivate, but I can't transform. Uh, so just lay uh, my giftings at your feet and just ask you to be mighty. And then it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen. Man, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to hang out in just two verses, but a couple of things I want to talk with you about before we get into um, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And so I'll, I'll kind of separate you out like this. If you are a um, member of uh, Epiphany Fellowship, I, I want to talk with you. And then if you're not a member of Epiphany Fellowship and you're uh, a guest, either checking them out or uh, if you're a member of another church, that'll be a whole separate category that I don't even address that you'll be able to delineate uh, what I'm saying. But let me start with members of Epiphany Fellowship. Um, by the, the grace of God, uh, I have been um, the president of Acts 29 for the last three years. That's 530 churches on six continents, really uh, a global movement of God. And we're just trying to hang on, not get in the Lord's way and let the Lord uh, show out, not touch stuff too much. All right. Um, and so it is with that view, with what is a, it is a decent view of what God is doing uh, in his church in the world. I've been to Australia and England and we've got uh, mad stuff going on in Dubai right now. And, and don't buy into the closed country idea because God hadn't seen one of those yet. Uh, and, and so uh, in the midst of all of that, I can confidently before God uh, knowing that, that I don't get paid to do Acts 29 and that I, I'm a brother that cannot be bought and, and say to you that um, God has blessed you with a man who is serious about your soul and serious about the things of God. And I think what happens when you're in a place that you're well taken care of is you think that's normal. Uh, like you think that happens everywhere. You think that um, the care uh, and the prayer and the, the nights without sleep while the pastors of this church are, are wrangling with the Lord for the good of your soul and the good of this neighbor. What happens when you're in good places is you think that that's normal. And so all I'm doing is stepping in here just for a second and going, listen, God's blessed you. That's not normal. And, and God has honored you with a man who loves him and serves you. And, and so uh, it, Pastor Eric has it, some distinct gifts, uh, and they're gifts that could be used and could be leveraged for a great deal of wealth for himself and, and a great deal of prestige for himself. And, and what he has done is, is planted himself, called by God among you, and, and is serving you faithfully. So I, I want to stand up in this anointed plexiglass space with, without honoring my brother. And then here's the second thing I would say. Uh, if you're a guest or you, you, what we would call at the village, a regular attender, which means uh, you come to church all that, you, you go to church, but you don't belong to one, uh, I, I want to encourage you like this. Um, God has first and foremost called you to himself. Uh, and yet the way he plans on sanctifying you is via your belonging to a covenant community of faith which means God's plan for you is not to listen to good preaching, but God's plan for you is for life to play itself out among people who are imperfect and broken. This is why you will not find a perfect church, and I, and I like to lean on you in this way. Thank God you won't. 
because if you stumble across a perfect church, there would be no room for you. All right. If you stumbled across one that lacked nothing, that, that had no issue, then your issue-laden self would feel uncomfortable, if not unwelcomed. And so a church that is not perfect is meant to ease our soul and enable us to come in and be a part of the body. Because if it were perfect, we would show up and jack it up. And, and so the reason why all churches are in progress and not have arrived is because there must be room for sinners to join in the great process of sanctification among God's people. And so, uh, listen, straight, I, if it's not a piff, again, I, no, no dog in the fight, but God has called you to himself and his people. And not in some weird, generic, I got Christian friends way. That's not covenant. All right, covenant is you bother me, but I ain't going anywhere. All right, that's covenant. Um, covenant's like, uh, I don't like this, but I'm staying. That's covenant. All right, it's not, I like the music. That's not covenant. All right, covenant is, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this, but, but I said I'm in, so I'm, I'm staying in. Um, and I feel like that whole idea has just been lost. And because it's been lost, we, we don't have any deep roots. We're, we, we just can get get blown away real easy. And then that place of difficulty and confrontation that God wants to shape you in, you'll bail on to another group of people because you like that new preacher, you like their music, or they got this program that meets your kind of life stage need. And that's not good for your own soul. But listen, all of that was over here. It ain't got nothing to do with my sermon, all right? So with, with that said, Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, why don't you stand as we read the Word of God together? And I, I, I love you, Pastor. Listen to him. So I'm going I'm to just steal a page from his playbook, and I'm going to start us, and, and you guys can finish us. <laughs> Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Let's go. Amen. Amen. Why don't you have a, a seat? Um, about 17 years ago now, uh, I was dating Lauren, and Lauren lived about five hours uh, away from where I was living. And on my spring break, I jet across the state uh, of Texas. Texas is a little bit different than the Northeast. You travel three hours in the Northeast, you're like in seven states. All right, Texas, you, you can travel 12 and not leave the state. And that's no lie. And so I drove five, uh, five hours across uh, the state of Texas and got to Lauren's parents' house. And, and I was going to just stay the week there and hang out with her. And um, her mom, uh, my now mother-in-law, um, took me and my father-in-law now, Johnny, and my brother-in-law now, Jonathan, out to this patch of grass on the side of their house. They had a beautiful house, had these windows, that looked out on just this small little patch of grass. And so Linda said, um, he, here's what we're going to do out here. We're going to do, all right, which is code for not me. Someone is going to do. And, and she said, we're going to put a, a pond right here and then some stone and, and we're going to have some chairs and we're going to plant um, some jasmine to grow up on this arbor that's going to be. And she laid out this kind of beautiful, pitch, picturesque-type garden that was going to be available for us to kind of leave the craziness of the world and enter into this kind of serenity of the side house garden. And so I was like, man, that, that sounds beautiful. 
And then they took us out to the shed and, and there was like shovels and stuff in there. Uh, and then we came back with some shovels and she had, she, she brought something from the shed. Right? She and I just gonna make us work. She brought like a can of, of paint. And, and on the grass, she, she painted on the grass this place where the pond was gonna go. And she said, first what needs to happen is that needs to be three foot deep and, and all the way across straight and level. And so then I was like, hey man, I, I'm a young man, let's go. And, and I stuck that shovel into the dirt. But here's what's interesting about East Texas soil. It, it's not friendly to shovels, all right? It's, it's actually right on, there's rocks. I think there's shell. Like, where does shell come from in East Texas and clay? And so, man, we just dug and dug and dug and dug all day. And at the end of day one, went to bed that night, and I had blisters all over my hands. I couldn't hardly uh, open my hands up. My lower back was killing me. I laid in bed that night and thought, do I really want to date this woman? <laughs> I mean, surely there's some other girl out there whose mama ain't going to have me on the side of the house. Because you're torn, right? Because I could have gone, nah. Nah, I'm not helping. Lauren, let's go see a movie. I mean, I could have played that card, but I thought I was in. I thought I was going to marry this girl. So you don't play that card if you think you're marrying her. If you're just dating for a bit, you play that card. I ain't doing your yard. You go see a movie, but I thought I was going to be in, so uh, I'm out there working. So uh, next day we get up, and, and you got to clear out the grass so we can lay down this wire mesh stuff so that you can then lay on the mortar and put the kind of big stones down. And so, listen, I am not handy. I have a, a, a degree in theology. I'm a reader. God has not made me for that kind of labor, all right? I mean, I'm just fragile. I'm not even trying to lie. I'm a man, but I'm a fragile man. Uh, all right, I'm gonna lead in love with my mind. I got a week back, and so uh, we're, we're getting this thing right. And now, once we cleared out the grass and we're laying down this wire mesh, we gotta cut the wire mesh, and then the wire mesh starts stabbing my hand. Now I'm bleeding everywhere. My father's about to bleed out. He got that thin old man skin, uh, and so we're we're getting it all set and and in place. And and by the time I left at the end of the week, it was starting to come together like it wasn't there yet, but you could see it now. It wasn't an idea anymore. You could just see that we had made some progress, and, and sure enough, I, as I would come back in, you could see more had been done, all right? Um, the, the jasmine was finally planted, all right? The arbor was finally up, and then a, a couple of years later, a couple of years later, it was what she saw in her head. And you could go out that side door, and there was just that pond that we spilt blood on. But then there, there, poor Johnny, my father-in-law, God bless his soul, he had built like some sort of waterfall thing out of round stones that had a fountain that trickled down into the, and it smelled, I mean, you walked out there, and it smelled legit. So you really could sit in a chair on these stones, listen to the trickle of the water, smell the jasmine, and it was a retreat from the chaos of the world. And, and so I, uh, the reason I, I use that illustration, I've actually used that illustration often, is because um, I, I know what the Bible says I have coming for me. Like, I, I know what Revelation says is coming. I, I know that 1 Corinthians 15, what, what is promised to me on that day, the day that Christ returns and makes all things new, I, I know that day is coming for me. Like I've read about that day. I've read, I get a resurrected, imperishable body, one that doesn't get sick, doesn't get sore, doesn't need sleep, doesn't even need the sun because the Lord 
God himself will be my light. Like I know that's coming for me. I'm closer. I'm closer today than I was yesterday. Like I know it's coming. I know the day is coming where the lamb and the wolf lie down together. In fact, they eat together, but not in the way that they eat together right now. Right? Because the way they eat together right now is unpleasant for one of them. But the day's coming where they lie down together. They eat together. There's a day coming where the lion chews straw like the oxen. The, the day's coming where the desert produces blooms of roses, that mountaintops produce sweet wine, and on and on and on I could go. In fact, uh, on that resurrected body, I hit 40 now. I don't feel 40. Like when I say I'm 40, I feel like I should be saying 34. But that's not, it is four, I am 40. And, and what happens is, listen, I don't know where you are. Some of you are young. My body is starting to betray me. Like it's starting to fail me in ways that it had not failed me before. Like I woke up injured a few months ago. I'm like, I, didn't, I just went to bed. I woke up injured. Now, I used to be able to play ball all day and not even be sore. I don't even know how to explain to my friends, and definitely not to the younger men on my staff, that I injured myself sleeping. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I'm 40, which means it's not getting better. It's getting worse. It's not like now at 40, like at 50, all of a sudden, all oh, that's changed. Now I'm robust like I'm 23 again. No, it's going to get worse for me. There ain't enough creatine on earth to help a brother out with that. <laughs> right? And so I, I know it's coming I know there'll be this day where faith will be sight. I know this day is coming where all that is horrible will be untrue. But that's not where I live right now. Where I live right now, my hands hurt. And my back is sore. And although I can see the garden in my mind, although I can kind of smell the jasmine and feel the hope of that peace, that is not the world I'm walking in. It's not the world I live in. It, it sometimes feels so far away as to be kind of a dream that if I think about it too much, kind of vanishes. And so I thought the way we might encourage one another or rather be encouraged this morning is by letting the Word of God read us, by letting the Word of God bear its weight on us. And so you can always be assured of a couple of things happening when that happens. Um, one, it'll encourage your heart. Two, it'll often sting. And so let's be encouraged while the Holy Ghost stings us where we need to be stung. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, I'm going to just read a little bit and we're going to talk, and then I'll read a little bit more and we'll talk. Verse 12, starting in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I just want to stop. Um, when, when you're reading in the Bible, or really any, this is just English 101, if you see the word therefore, he's about to make a case based on something that's already been said. And so don't blow through the word therefore whenever you read it because he's about to argue. Therefore is a word of argumentation, all right? Therefore, since I've proved my point here, let me show you what you're supposed to do next. So the way I teach it at the village is you always ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore, yeah. right? It's kind of cute, but it works. <laughs> it, it works. What's the therefore, therefore? And he says here, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, he's referencing back in this therefore, great cloud of witnesses, to chapter 11. Now, chapter 11 is called the roll call of faith. It, it is a chapter filled with men and women who were faithful unto the Lord in different seasons of Israel's history, in the history of the people of God. But the list is unbelievably 
beautiful and freeing. And I want to show you why that is. We're just going to pick it up in verse 32 of Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. Now, I'll take some of that. Anybody want to conquer a kingdom? I'd like to conquer a kingdom. All right. Enforced justice. Anybody an enforcer of justice in this joint? Like, see, this is, this is kind of playing to your inner man. Right, this is in your, I mean, we, we hunger for this kind of thing. I know men in particular do. All right, I want to conquer kingdoms. I want to enforce justice. Obtained promises. Stopped the mouths of lions. Quenched the power of fire. Escaped the edge of the sword. Were made strong out of weakness. Became mighty in war and put armies to flight. Women received back their dead via resurrection. Now, if... Nothing follows that sentence and it's period, therefore, then the Bible would not be trustworthy. If all this said was, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, okay, what does that look like? Well, what it looks like to be in the great cloud of witnesses is you shut the mouths of lions. All right, you put foreign armies to flight. You eradicate injustice. You, if all there is is rainbow and skittles in the great cloud of witnesses, then what are we to do with our lives? Like, what am I to do with mine? Like, if all it means to be a child of God is that everything's going the way I want it, then I don't know what to make of my life. I definitely can't believe in a God that is saying that's going to happen when that certainly is not. Because my life post-Christ finding me has not been rainbows and skittles. It has not always been to shut the mouth of the lion, but sometimes to have the lion take a chunk out of me. I hadn't always put foreign armies to flight. I've been trampled a couple of times. I've escaped the fire. I ain't gonna lie, I escaped the fire, and a couple of times I've been burned. And so if that just stops, if that stops, all that goodness stops, and then we go right into therefore, then I'm a bit nervous, and I feel like I'm gonna have to fake my Christianity. I'm going to have to act like I'm great. I'm going to have to like, act like I don't struggle, like I don't worry, like I ain't got no fears, like I don't ever wrestle with doubt. If that's all there is, then I'm going to get sucked into a type of weak veneer that has me pretending to be more than I am and not have any shot of becoming all that God would have me be because I'm forced to lie and hide behind a veneer that's not the reality of my life. But praise God, the text doesn't stop. In fact, uh, what I want you to note is there's not even a transition statement. It's not even, but there were some other things, and then the battle. He just, like, it's like a, a stream of consciousness. It's, it's not like he thinks this is a different topic. Verse 35, women receive back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. Not, but some were tortured. He, he didn't put a but there. Just women received back their dead from resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and in caves of the earth. And hear me. I read that and I go, oh, thank God. 
Oh, thank God. See, what he does right here is he starts to redefine success. He, he steps into the space that you and I actually are living in. And, and he's not saying, here's the people that do it right. Here's the blessed life now. Here's the right. No, he's like, here's what it looks like to follow Christ. Here's what it looks like to be a person of faith. And sometimes a person of faith shut the mouths of lions. And sometimes a person of faith wanders about destitute. Sometimes there is freedom from oppression, and sometimes oppression remains. Is kingdom economics. He, he flips things on their head. He redefines success because our bent, God help us, is to turn God into some sort of sad, pathetic genie that just does what we tell him to do. As though we're really God, he's got power, but he's got to do what we want him to do. But listen, you, gosh, how crummy of a God would you be? Can you be honest with yourself like that? Like you would make a terrible, terrible God. Like, so let, let's talk about you just for, uh, I'm getting ahead of my sermon. We'll talk about you here in a second. So he's redefining success and failure and how we see it. And namely what he's doing is don't, don't trust your eyes. Don't trust your eyes. Trust the word. Trust the Holy Ghost. Don't trust you. You don't see well. You'd be really quick to call something a blessing from the hand of God that actually is the judgment of God on people. It's true. It happens all the time. You know, Romans 1 says that what God will do with a brother in rebellion is give him over to do what is not proper. So brother's like, I'm, I'm going to be all about money. God might just in his wrath give him over to it. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leverage my gifts, build a platform of my own that I might be celebrated among men. It might just be the wrath of God that gives that brother that. Oh, you want that instead of me? There you go. Go ahead and have that. See how that satisfies your soul. See how that um, builds in you a sense of peace. So let's be careful how we define things because I'll tell you this. Few of us look at the brother destitute wearing some goat skins, and I ain't talking about GQ fashion. Oh, you're like, goat skins are fly right now. I ain't talking about that, all right? <laughs> I'm saying, like, broke, destitute, broken. Nobody looks at that brother and goes, like, man, God must love that guy. But the writer of Hebrews said, hey, the world ain't worthy of that guy. World ain't worthy of him. World ain't worthy of him. And then from there, looking backwards, now having this redefined view of what is success and failure, this attack against uh, our propensity to become, um, really, when all said and done, a sad type of prosperity gospel that would put God in our debt and demand that he do what we tell him to do. Yeah. It's just crazy how bold people will be with the Lion of Judah. You just shouldn't, shouldn't run your mouth at a lion. It just goes bad. So then with that said, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, he goes on to say, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now there are two commands here based on this great cloud of witnesses that you need to consider. Um, the first one um, to look at right here is that we have to lay aside every weight and the sin that's so easily entangled. So um, for every sin in your life, there's the sin itself and there's the stuff that fuels it. You tracking with me? There's the sin itself and then there's what fuels the sin. Well, the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't just concentrate on the sin, but lay aside the fuel, the logs that go on the fire that make the fire burn hotter. 
And so I'm coming out of this series at the village on biblical manhood and womanhood. We called it Beautiful Design. And um, I sat down with just dozens and dozens of women as I, I was going to preach this sermon uh, on the sins of women and categories that it might fit into. That's terrifying space, yo. Uh, all right. I mean, you're like a dude getting up there and going, ladies, I mean, that, that's just go bad for a brother. And so I did my homework. So I sat down with a lot of ladies trying to figure out categories. And, um, and I can't tell you how often that what really became clear to me is that the two kind of buckets that the sins that women really struggle with fall into um, are comparison and perfectionism. I mean, it, and those two things lead to all sorts of dark vices and wickedness, but it starts there. And, and so one of the things I said when I was teaching that lesson is that, that ultimately, like I can't take my Bible and show you that Instagram is sinful, but I can tell you if you struggle with body image and you struggle with comparison, you probably shouldn't be going to bed at night looking at it. Right, because who Instagrams bad days? Huh? Right? Like, like you wake up and all the hair that's over here is actually over here, and you got that zit you get like once every decade, like, like you, you don't even rub the, you just put the cream on it, all right? You ain't even rubbing it in it. And, and then if you try to pop it, get blow out the back of your head like that one. No one like puts that cream on, hair all jacked up, like, ah, Instagram, hashtag, you know, nobody does that. You're always looking, it's like your whole life is cheese boards and expensive wine, all right? It's just, that's your whole world. Every, I mean, everybody's taking pictures of how fly they are. And if you're not careful, you're scrolling through right before you go to bed and you realize that your life stinks. And that you wish you were prettier. You wish you had a smaller waist or a bigger bust or a better shape. You wish you had a boyfriend that loved you that way or a husband that cared for you that way. You wish you had an on and on and on. And you're sitting there discontented, ungrateful for what God has given you. And then you get jealous. And then from jealousy, you lead to running your mouth, tearing people down. This is how it works. So Instagram isn't sinful, but you might be a fool for being on it. All right? and, and I'm telling you, there's some brothers shouldn't be a bartender. Brother shouldn't be a bartender. Drunks make terrible bartenders. It, it did got quiet. I didn't know if I stepped into some. <laughs> know if I stepped into some cultural nuance. I was like strange here. <laughs> no idea. So what we do, the game we like to play that is not good for our souls is well, Bible don't say it, then I don't got to do it. But surely you know there's some things that aren't in the Bible that you'd be an idiot to do. Right? That's why we got the wisdom literature. Might not be simple, but it sure ain't wise. And so this is that weight that so easily stumbles. This is that weight we're meant to lay aside. Does it feed my sinfulness? If it does, I'm walking away. If it does, I'm walking away. These are morally neutral things that for the good of your own soul should be laid down lest that log catches fire. And then he goes on from there and he talks straight up about not just that, but sin and that we must be serious about our sin and putting sin to death. Like everybody thinks they've got sin handled. I mean, I ain't met a brother unless his world's burned to the ground that thinks he ain't handling his sin right. right? It's like those guys that play with dangerous animals. Right? It's like the guy swimming with sharks. No, oh God, they're, they're great. Right? It's like that guy. Like, why are you in the ocean with sharks? You moron, get out of the water. They're fine. They're fine. Just give it some time. That dude's getting eaten. And that's how everybody is with their sin. I got this. I got, oh, he ain't going to eat me. 
Yeah, I know they kill people. They ain't killing me, though. Uh, they kill folk. I, I, seen, I, mean, I saw a dude lose his marriage because of pornography. I, I'm all right. I got this. I got that. It ain't going to get me like that. I got this under control. Man, I, I, I can be his friend even though I'm married. I ain't going out. I've, I've seen when that ain't happening to me, right? Swimming with sharks. No, no, no. We put sin to death. We watch the logs that go to the fire, lay them aside, get them away from the fire, and then we try to get the fire completely out. Now, let, let's talk for a second. Can we, let's just be real honest with one another. We know that. I didn't just say something like blew you up, you know. That didn't just happen in here. I didn't blow anybody's mind. You're like, wait a minute. Don't sin. <laughs> Eric, why don't you say that to us, right? So you know. And let, let's, just do, uh, let's just do a poll. I'm gonna, and I use my white voice for that. That didn't make any sense here. Uh, and so, uh, so if, how many of you would say, I know there are things that are logs on the fire of my sinfulness. I, I knew that, and I knew I should probably avoid it. Go ahead, raise your hand, man. This is having a little family meeting in here. All right, go ahead and put your hands down. And how many of you go, and I know I shouldn't be, I know I should be fighting sin. All right, anybody, everybody know? Okay, now, um, how many of you give yourself an A++ on that? D minus, anybody, oh, let's go lower, D minus. Anybody going, bro, what's lower? And I give myself a G, right? Not even an F, a G. A zero, right? Yeah, so here, we got to do something with this. We know these things. And, and here we are, some of us, 10 years later, some 15 years, 20, 20 years following the Lord, still falling into the same garbage, still enslaved to the same madness. So what are we to do? Well, praise God that the Bible doesn't leave us hanging. Look at what he says here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look at this, it's huge. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Now, I just want to stop there, all right? This is what we're reading, talking, reading, talking. So, in this, laying aside every weight and putting to death sin, the key is going to be on repeat, you getting over yourself. Like you got to, because here's what I find. The trap that you and I get into as, if you're here as church folk, the trap we get into as church folk is we know we struggle, we know we stumble, we know. So we come to something like this and our gut is not gonna struggle anymore. Maybe here in a little bit we'll have some tears come up to the altar. I'm laying that down. I ain't doing it no more. This is the day the Lord has made. <laughs> Done. For a week or two, right? Some of you type A, month or two. And so what ends up happening to church folk in particular, and if you're lost in here, you're just doing this all the time. You just wouldn't even know the distinction because this is how you operate. Yes. You, you would just... I call it the village navel-gazing. Just looking at you. Gosh, I stink. I'm never going to get it. It's not going to get this down. I keep stumbling and falling. I keep, well, yeah, get your eyes off you. You're terrible. Like, why would you ever put any confidence in you? Hey, let's, again, we're, we're family, kind of. Who, who do you know that's lied to you more than you have? No one. A anybody deceive you more than you? Anybody not shown up at the needed time for you more than you have not shown up at the needed time for you. Listen, I'm just saying, you, you're terrible to you. 
And I don't even care what your background is. Mean, and I'm not saying Pops wasn't cruel. I'm saying no one has been as consistently evil to you as you have. So the more you stare at yourself and feel like a failure, the more I want to affirm that what you see when you look at yourself is failure. So here, into this space, enters the light of the gospel. It's in that space. I can't do it. I'm a failure. Lust keeps sucking me back in. I keep stumbling. It's in that space that the gospel kind of penetrates and shows up. And God says, starting in the Psalms and throughout, get your head up. Look up. Quit navel-gazing. Look at me because I can where you cannot I will where you won't I have where you have not that's the gospel is this entry into dark spaces where all that we believe about ourselves is affirmed while simultaneously having the grace of God pay the bill in full and so he says Fix your eyes on Jesus. And then he says, why? And this is where confidence really starts to churn in how God sees us and thinks about us. All right? He says that Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author of our faith or the founder of our faith, which is let's make sure we stay in the world of correct doctrine when we're talking about salvation. You did not save you. You were saved. You were passive he was active I, I can tell you this I wasn't looking for him I, I was poli gonna be a lawyer and bank I can argue yo. I mean I can argue and so I thought man be a lawyer make a ton of cash get a wife or maybe two I was unregenerate calm down unregenerate <laughs> baby I was unregenerate and then what happened is me not looking for the Lord, honing my skills of argumentation, sharpening my mind, getting ready to dominate the circuit court. Had the Lord invade and be like, nah, nah, I'm going to do something else. In fact, I'm going to take these gifts that I gave you, brother, in your mother's womb, and where you have taken them and bent them towards idolatry, self-promotion, and self-exaltation. I am going to save you from your own destruction, you fool. By taking your gifts and now with laser-like focus, putting them on me. And you will argue, boy, you will argue for me. And that's what, but listen, if you'll think about it. What, what I'm saying here is that this is what we believe, that God came and grabbed us. God came and got us. You didn't get God. God grabbed you. So if he is the author of our faith, then to say and to believe that we will fail, that there is not hope, is an accusation against God and God's inability to finish writing our story. So confidence builds when we're reminded of this. Look at me. At my worst he came and got me when i was farthest from him is when he saved me how could i possibly be disappointing to him now you know where he found me you know where he found me so here here's what's crazy like i've got to see over the last decade this building just change just change and change and change and change and get better and more and more awesome. And you might be able to find some dude out in the burbs where I am and bring him in. He's like, man, this place is a dump, but it looks unbelievable to me. You know why? Because I saw it when we got it, first got it, when y'all first got it. 
right now. Is that not exactly what's going on with us? So we feel like, God, he's got to be so disappointed. He's got to be so frustrated. He's like, you kidding me? I'm killing this right now. I'm shaping and molding you in ways you don't even fathom. So if he is the author, then man, that should create confidence in us to run towards him and not away from him. But he's not. Now I've got to have some real talk with you here. Not only is he our author, but he is our perfecter or his, our developer. Now, um, the way we want to be developed is we have this list of things that we think we need. If he would only, if he would just, if he would just give me, if he could just make this happen, if he would just show up in this way, if he would, and I'm not saying those kind of things are evil. In fact, cry out to the Lord for the desires of your heart. I think that's a good right thing. I think the Bible would command you to, not suggest, but command you to cry out with the desires of your heart. But look right at me. Don't think that the desires of your heart are what you actually need. So I'll, I'll tell you just as a, a family member that I have, I have been more shaped, more chiseled, more refined, and more enveloped into what Christ has for me by my dark nights and my suffering and my losses than I ever have in my wins. Because I, I'm going to just tell you how evil my heart is. My, my wins, I tend to own my wins. Like if things go off without a hitch, I think I nailed that. Right? Things, I got money in my account. I did, I'm, I'm doing well. My kids acting right. I'm a good dad. Lauren and I dialed in, dating, romancing. I think I'm killing it. I'll even teach some brothers how to do it. Well, you, man, you got to listen to her knees, man. You got to be around. What, you're an idiot, man. This is what you got to, man, you better talk to your kid. You got to get out with your kid. You gotta, I'll just own it. This is how you do it. But let me fail. Let me get sick. So I'm going to say something scandalous. Could it just be that in the Western world we got it a bit wrong? Could it be that there is a type of suffering and hardship that was not meant to be solved, but rather meant to sanctify? And, and I'm not speaking ignorantly. I'm not speaking because I read some Puritan. I'm, te I'm telling you, I, I've been there. I've failed. I've fallen short. I got sick. Things went south. I put my son in the back of an ambulance having a seizure. Had to stay up late throughout the night with a nurse putting cold wash rags on my youngest daughter, hoping that the fever would break. Had a good portion of my right frontal lobe cut out, endured 18 months of high-dose chemotherapy, been radiated, laid on the bathroom floor and wondered if I'd ever feel strong again. Found anything that Lauren might find attractive and sexy about me, vanish. And all my charisma and let's have some fun and all, gone, just laying on the floor hoping to live. And it was in that space that God did some of his sweetest, most beautiful work in my own heart. But here's what we've done. What we've done is said, oh, no, 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 I don't want that. I want this. Like, give me the, I love you and the good stuff. 
If you'll give me money and a spouse that's legit and doesn't make me pray or cry out, or you give me friends that don't betray me, you give me more money in my account, you let me get out of this, that's what we think will make us godly because we haven't paid attention to Hebrews 11. And that there's going to be a time for that, but don't think there's not going to be a time for goatskins and caves. And don't think he's betrayed you when it shows up because he hasn't. So I've got three kids. I don't know how you parent, but I'll spank my kids. Not crazy, but I I mean, I hate it. It makes me tear up even thinking about it. I I mean, there's a time my kids wants to be spanked. Like, I don't want to spank. He he wants me to spank. Like, it's like he's asking me. You might as well just bring me my belt. I'm like, Dad, I'm feeling unsafe. Will you whip me? (laughs) Right? He does that, but terrible. He's just, please spank me. Show me that you care. And I hate it every time but it's what makes me a loving father to do it. And a loving father will say, get out of the street and quit playing in that traffic. Stand over here. That make me cruel. Wouldn't I be an evil dad if I said, you know what, run and play in the traffic. Have a good time. That's what you want. That's what you want. Go play in the traffic. That made me a cruel daddy. So be careful how you judge how God's working in your life. Some of you have been called out of the street and shaking your fist at the heavens. Trying to save your life and you're complaining. Now, from there, the talk back always throws me off, man. I'm like, hold on, let me look where I am. All right. Now, the next part of the text says, Whom for the joy set before him endured the cross and despising its shame sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, a couple of things. I want to talk about joy, enduring the cross despising shame, and then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go eat lunch, or if you've already eaten lunch, eat a snack or or whatever. The joy set before him. Now, this idea in of itself is kind of a transforming reality, if you'll believe it, not in your head, but in your gut. Whom for the joy set before him that day. I don't know if you've ever studied the crucifixion or read through it, or um, I I just couldn't, I had a hard time finding where the joy set before Christ that day was. Because I can tell you this, he's pleading with the Father in the garden that we could do it another way. Because as I read the New Testament, he's like, let's get it. I mean, that's not what he's doing. He's sweating blood. His crew fell asleep on him. Pleading, there's another way. There's another way. You, I'm, I'm doing what you want to do. I am, I am you and I am in. But if there's another way. And yet here we go, the joy set before him. So that was a confusing concept for me. And then years ago, I was preaching through Galatians. And here's Galatians 1, 15 through 16. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Um, the Apostle Paul, for, for, for those of you church background, you'll know this if you're a guest with us this morning. Maybe you won't. Uh, the Apostle Paul was, before that, he was Saul of Tarsus. The only, the only way to kind of draw a modern-day parallel to who Saul of Tarsus was is for you to think of some general uh, that sits and presides over ISIS that's now beheading our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. So that's what we've got. We've got a modern-day, first-century, beheading terrorist of a militant religious group, Saul of Tarsus. And this is what he writes in Galatians 1. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, listen to this, was pleased to reveal his son to me. I'll just stop there. So on this day, this is Pauline theology, on on that road to Damascus day, Paul got up, sharpened his blade, put it in, saddled up his horse, hopped on and started 
trodden to Damascus to enslave, imprison, and shame openly the people of God. But that morning, not getting up because the Lord didn't sleep, but as the earth rotated once again, the Lord smiled and was like, all right, Saul. All right, Saul. Because today, Saul's becoming Paul, and it pleased the heart of God. But we don't, that's hard to believe, isn't it? Like here, I can believe that God forgives me. I, like, I don't know, I just can believe that. I struggle with the fact that he might like me. I just do. I just think he, he's got to like, like a later, like me later. Like me in another decade. Except I think now at 40 that a decade from now, I'm still going to think that dude's got issues. But here's Saul of Tarsus, and he's not interested in the Lord. I mean, he ain't reading Keller's book on his horse on the way. He's not in mere Christianity, you know, audio book on his way to Damascus. He wasn't interested. Lord just, he didn't even need somebody to be interested. Shoved him off his horse. And Saul becomes Paul, who's the greatest missionary of faith has ever known. It pleased the heart. The joy set before Christ that day was to bring glory to the renown of God by adopting millions of sons and daughters to the Father. That we might become heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. The joy set before Christ on that day is you and me being in this room marveling at His glory. That's That's the joy set before Him. And then we get to this endured the cross. So um, just to be straight, I spent the majority of my life confused about what some Jew getting killed 2,000 years ago had to do with me. And maybe you got a different background. Maybe that never even occurred to you. But I just like a Jewish guy on the other side of earth was crucified. That, now, what does that have to do with me? And so I want to answer that question since you ask it. <laughs> well, what's he doing on the cross? Well, three things very quickly. One, he's dying for our sins. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, um, if you're not in tune with your own sinfulness, then that doesn't strike a chord in you. It's when you understand that your sin is not just against others, but against the holiness of God Himself. That you have not let mama down, you have not let daddy down, you have not let husband or wife down, but you have sinned and rebelled against the king of the universe. It's in that moment that it starts settling in when you understand that not just your actions, but even your thoughts are clean before the Lord, understood by the Lord, and that his wrath is serious about such offenses. You need to look no farther than the cross of Christ and the reality of hell when you think about how God feels about sin but praise his name not only does he die for our sins but in that he cancels out our sin debt colossians 2 13 through 14 and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh god made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand this he set aside nailing it to the cross Um, There are multiple moments that I think back on in my life where if I think too much on them, I start to feel nauseous that I actually participated in such darkness. And it'll haunt me. If if I don't gospel myself, it'll haunt me. I just can't believe I did such things. Can't believe that I gave myself over to such things. Can't believe that I took advantage of things like I did. Can't believe how dark my heart was. Like I even thought in my sinfulness that I was a better man than I was. 
And if I don't gospel myself, if I don't remind myself like the Apostle Paul that that Matt Chandler is dead and that he was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ, then I'm going to be self-condemning. I've got to get my eyes on Jesus who endured the cross. He died for my sins, but on top of that, he canceled the record of debt so that I can say all the foolishness of Matt Chandler before Jesus Christ, all the foolishness of Matt Chandler right now, all the foolishness that will be in Matt Chandler tomorrow, next year, in a decade from now was nailed to the cross of Christ so that I am debt free before the Lord. That's what's happening on the cross. And then finally, he redeems us. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You are a slave to whatever is uppermost in your affection. There are no freemen in this room. We are all slaves. Some of you are slaves to money. Others of you are slaves to people's opinion of you. Others of you are, are, are slaves to, to you name it. Whatever, is, whatever the greatest desire of your heart is, you are enslaved to that. And so Jesus is going to buy you out of it. He's going to buy you out. He, he's going to show up at that auction. He's going to buy you out. But not with silver or gold. Now with some far more precious than silver and gold. See, because in glory, gold fills potholes, right? So forget silver and gold. No, no, no. The precious blood of Jesus. Reconcile, redeemed. And this is what's going on when we fix our eyes on Jesus. This is what we're preaching to ourselves. This is what we're reminding ourselves. This is why when we stumble and fall, we're able to get back up and run back to Him because we know these things. And then finally, I love this. He despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was baptizing a guy in our baptism services and baptizing him. He'd grown up in a good home and, and they shared the gospel with him. Finally, just clicked in his head. And so he gave his life to Christ and we celebrated as a church. And so I uh, took that young man out of the water and, and then circled back around. And the kid that was getting baptized right after him, I say kid, young man that was being baptized right after him was about 25, 26 year old African-American guy who had been repeatedly sexually assaulted by his dad and the friends of his dad. And then he had given himself over to that type of sexual depravity and darkness so that he had just been used and abused and treated himself cheaply. And, and then finally, he was invited to the village and, and just started hanging out. And he was waiting for us to hate him or waiting for us to do something foolish. And, and man, the Lord just ran, just redeemed him. And so he got in the water. And think about this. 1,500 predominantly Anglo strangers. And this brother stood up and just shared the most depraved, wicked thing imaginable with strangers who are not his ethnicity, don't understand his background, have no idea where he's from. And we all got to celebrate Jesus together. All of us, we got to clap our hands and, and praise his name and make much of Jesus. Why? Because all the darkness and depravity of that brother's life had been flipped upside down and was now a trophy of the grace of God so that everyone in the room could see, no, no, no nobody's beyond the rescuing arm of Jesus. And so that, that's what happens when you know these things, preach these things, teach these things, lay these things before us all. And so I leave you with this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life 
has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Look right at me. If you are in Christ, God has not changed His mind about you. He does not want or need a mulligan. He has no regrets. He's not watching you stumble forward now with disgust. Be careful how you judge Him. What has He done but rescue you? What has He done but save you? What has He done but paid once and for all for your sins? Don't believe the lie. The perfection that you're pursuing has been given to you in Christ. So lean into Him. Now I'm not saying there's not a place for repentance and gut-wrenching grief over our sin. And, and I'm not saying that this is true for everyone. You need to hear me say this. God is the creator of us all, but he is only the father to some. And what I'm saying today is true for his kids. Like when I die, there'll be a very small inheritance passed down to three children. Not all the children at the village church. Mine. And in the same way for those who are in Christ. Look at me. He hasn't gotten weary of you. Lean in. Get back up. Listen, there's just no space in our faith for pity parties, for wallering and, oh, I wish I would, I could. Get up, stop. It's freaking pathetic. You got this King Jesus ready to throw a ring on you and kill the fatted calf and celebrate all the more. Come home, stop. You, you haven't outsinned His grace that you can't. Let's pray. Father, help us.